going through a series um, of Jesus' teaching in Matthew, um, and we've got to the point where we're at Matthew 5, 13 to 16. So if you'd like to follow along in a Bible, there's some church Bibles at the back if you would like a Bible. Um, if you want to take notes, um, we've got these notebooks um, that are free again. They're on, um, on the table with pens. If you, like me, come and forget a pen, there is a pot of pens right there. Um, mostly because I bought all my pens here, so I always have them. <laughs> Let me read um, Matthew 5, 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let me pray for Greg, our pastor, as he comes to speak. Father God, we thank you for these words. Lord, we thank you that you are the light of the world. Lord, help us have eyes to see your light this morning and ears ready to hear um, the message that Greg has prepared. May the words that Greg speaks be from you, be led by the Spirit, and be for our encouragement and, and teaching, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hopefully I don't give anyone a vertigo or flipping things around. Um, it's interesting. We have w uh, loads of uh, American-related references already, and now you're hearing an American accent, so I can do nothing but apologize. I'm not going to do a British accent. You don't want that. That would be really bad. Um, like, yeah, it would be really bad. There we go. Uh, how do we do this? Ah, there we go. We're going to flip through this a little bit. Um, we have been going through the Sermon on the Mount, um, over the past few weeks, and we are in, uh, I mean, we've just went through the Beatitudes, the first, like, 12 verses, and some of it is difficult stuff, isn't it? I mean, we talked, uh, there were lots of, lots of really good questions that came through during the sermon last week, especially about, like, persecution. What do we do with persecution? What about when people say things that aren't true about us? Um, and, uh, and people will, and people have, and people will. It's kind of how it is. It is with Jesus, and it will with us. And the Sermon on the Mount is just kind of, it keeps going. It keep, it's not like Jesus lets up the gas a little bit. He's like, okay, well, I'm going to maybe calm down and like chill out a bit and just say, you know, just kind of hang out a bit. No, he, he keeps going strong, and it's going to be like that through the rest of these chapters. But what we're going to see, and there's a bit of a spoiler alert, hopefully not a spoiler alert if you've been around the, our church for a bit, that it's, this it seems kind of impossible to do. Because it is. It's impossible to do unless God is working through us. So even as we're going through the stuff today, you're like, that is not me. I can't do that. I am so far away from that. Like, that's everybody. None of us can do the things that are written here without the Holy Spirit, God himself, working through us. So I want to preempt it that way. But I also, um, even though uh, there's another American here, I'm going to start an American reference. And I never do this because I'm like, I should never use American references. But I can't get away from it 
By the way, if you have questions that come up during the sermon, if you go to redeemingmcr.com slash ask, it's an anonymous way of putting questions, and we'll talk about it when the sermon's over. Um, growing up in America, there were these kind of adverts on TV all the time, be all you can be, like the cool music in the background, people doing like cool stuff, like flying planes or whatever army people do. I don't know what army people do because I didn't join the army. Um, there was a sense of like of joining something that mattered. It was like be all you if you if you join the army now you get to be all that you could possibly be in this world, something that would leave a, like a positive mark. And maybe for Americans, they definitely left marks, whether positive or negative. I'll leave that for the political discussions later. Now I've never joined the army, but I've been part of groups that mattered before. Uh, in I used to play in some bands, and one of the bands I used to play in, when you created music together, when everybody in the band looked around and be like, wait, this is something special. This is actually really good. Uh, when we would tour to other cities, that, that wasn't our hometown, people who we didn't know in a city we weren't in, and they're all singing the songs with us. That feels like we're really connecting like something here. People, uh, people are all about this. It felt like it was something that mattered. And I think every single one of us really want to belong, but belonging in itself is good, but it's not, we're made for something a little bit more than that. We really want to belong to something that matters something that really matters, something bigger than ourselves, and that thing, whatever it might be, is going to leave a good mark on this world when we're gone. And this is the kind of life that Jesus invites us to. His church ought to be a place where we can, pardon the, the, uh, the cheesiness, his church ought to be a place where we truly can be all we can be, a place where the sum is greater than its parts, a place where we get to belong, but also a place that actually matters. Now, whether people in Charlton or in South Manchester or even, like, further afield, whether they're interested in Christianity or not, we want to be the kind of church that people want to have around. Where if we were to leave, the people would be sad, even if they're not part of our church. Now, that's only true if we can be the kind of church that matters. I mean, you probably know of churches that don't really matter much in people's lives. Some churches may not be interested in getting involved in community, and, and some might be just kind of downright scared of getting involved in community. But this is true for all organizations that we see on this earth, regardless of church or whatever, any kind of organization. There's always this tendency to make a space for ourselves, and that's it. To not be relevant beyond ourselves, not be loving beyond ourselves, not make the risk to extend love to others who may not return it. But the church is a place that doesn't merely exist for its members. The church fundamentally exists for those who aren't part of it. And this kind of outward-facing loving despite the consequences, faithful to Jesus and his ways, this kind of church is actually the kind of church that matters. That's the kind of organization that matters. A church that cares about other people flourishing is the kind of church that flourishes. A church that has a strong spiritual life is the kind of church that has a loving public faith. And this kind of church won't be just like any other charity or any other goodwill organization, and those are great and let's have more of those, but the kind of church that matters is connected to God himself. And, and its goal is to bring God himself to at work in places where he's not at work yet. And this is what Jesus invites us into. I think that's the kind of church that's worth joining. That's the kind of church that's, that's worth planting. There's a kind of church that's worth getting up in the morning for. This is what we should all aim for, to belong to a community of consequence. Now, to be inconsequential means it doesn't matter if the thing is there or not. We can have it or not, it doesn't really matter. For us to be a community of consequence, though, it actually really matters for us to be here. We need Jesus to lead this and to lead us, because if he doesn't, we'll do one of two things. One is, the more likely scenario, if you're me, you just won't do anything. You're like, ah, that's cool, I'll just kind of not do all the hard things. That's, that's me. 
Or if you're like a more type A kind of like gregarious person, you will make you will be a part of something of consequence, but the consequence will be all about you. You will make your own mark in this world. People will know your name. By ourselves, we can't help making it all about us. Even when it's like our passion, our work, our care, our theology, whatever it is, we can't help but make it all about us. We need Jesus to lead us out of that. And in the end, anything that's about us is not really a community of consequence as much as it just might be an inflation of ego. But if we allow ourselves to follow Jesus, he leads us on the right path. He tells us where we need to go and also walks with us as we do it. And the Holy Spirit is at work in us too, giving us what we need in order to live this way. And what we have in these verses here, and there's not very many, but there's a lot of stuff going on here. In these verses here, what we have is basically, this is Jesus teaching us how to be a community of consequence. And in order to do that, there's two things. We must stay salty and we must stay bright. And the questions that you might have, um, bring them through because we won't be able to apply all this. Now, if I was to say, to say you should stay salty, you might first think, especially with youth now, oh, we get to stay grumpy? We get to stay, like, irritated? Someone who's super salty is like, oh, that's a really irritating kind of person. Just so you know, that's not what Jesus is talking about, by the way. Um, salt is an essential element to life. We need it to survive. Our bodies break down if we don't have it. Uh, we don't need loads of salt. We just need a little bit, just a little bit to kind of get by. And if you have too much of it, yeah, it's not very good, right? That leads to all sorts of problems. Now, there were two main reasons why salt was so important to life during Jesus' time. Two, the two main reasons were flavoring and preserving. And I think these two main reasons directly apply to what Jesus is talking about here. Let's talk about flavoring first. Flavoring is, it's, and is when you add salt to something to make it taste better. If we add too much, it's not good. We don't have anything, and it, it kind of tastes low. What salt does is an active addition, so you're actually doing something to it, and you're bringing out the best of the flavor of that steak or whatever thing is. You're bringing out the best in that thing. That's what flavoring is all about. Staying salty means bringing out the best in other people, not just in ourselves. On the preserving side, uh, preserving is making sure things don't go bad. So if, if salting is to make things the best they can be, preserving is making sure they don't go bad. If flavoring is, is bringing good things forward, preserving is holding bad things back, holding back evil, helping things to not go bad. Now, bringing out the best, helping things to not go bad, that's what it looks like to stay salty. And these two actions, flavoring and preserving, it's like guarding and keeping, which is exactly the same task that God gave the first humans in the Garden of Eden. And it's no surprise that we are called to live that same kind of cultivation kind of life. Notice, too, it's a broad scope. He doesn't say you're the salt of this area. You're the salt of the religious people. You're the salt of people who are good. You're the salt of the middle class. You're the salt of the earth. That's everywhere, not just in places we deem good and not just in places that we think are good or places we might initially maybe want to go to. It's the earth. It's everywhere. Jesus' kingdom, his disciple community, his gospel-formed family have the mission to make the world a better place in these very specific ways. So that's what we ought to do. Now, there is another option, is to become unsalted salt. That sounds like a contradiction, like, uh, how does water lose its wetness? Or how do you get an American to stay quiet? It's just impossible. This is not going to work. <laughs> Says the American, my brother in the back. <laughs> but salt, as it would have been in Jesus' day, salt, it, 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 was, it was collected from the ground, so just kind of pick it up. And it was never pure. There was all sorts of impurities in the salt during Jesus' day. Uh, it came, uh, it was a mixture of all these, all these other kinds of minerals. So it's kind of, a, it's possible to imagine someone taking real salt or trying to collect real salt 
and just letting the impurities kind of stay in and the actual salt itself not being there anymore. Leaving the non-salt salt, which doesn't even salt anymore, leaving it useless. We become useless when all those impurities take over who we are. But as one commentator said, Jesus is not teaching chemistry. So it's probably just like a funny way of saying, like, don't be that way. It's probably just Jesus saying, can you imagine what unsalty salt would be like? Oh, that's crazy. Mess with your life. It's like, oh, you know, that's how Jesus kind of gets in there sideways. And here's actually the other funny thing, losing its saltiness. It's a Greek way of saying foolish. In fact, our word for moron comes from tasteless, unsalted. So I didn't call you morons. I don't think Jesus is. I'll leave that to you to figure out. But if we don't stay salty, we all become morons. When we let those impurities in, what happens is we become foolish. We are not really who we authentically are because all these impurities are kind of affecting who we are. We become something we never meant to be. And if it's useless, it gets thrown out, it gets trampled upon. Now, this idea of being the salt of the earth, of flavoring, of preserving, when it comes up elsewhere in the Bible, it's always in the context of relationships with people. It's not just like doing good kind of generically. It's doing good in our human-to-human relationships. There are people in your life, God is calling you to bring out the best in them, to stay salty for them. There are people in your life that God's calling you to help restrain evil in those areas. I mean, parents, this is you with your kids. To do more than make sure they study hard, make sure they live the, you know, go to uni, whatever the kind of dreams you might have for them, but to open up how God is actually connected to them in ways that they understand on their level, in their world. To cheer them on when they do well, yes. To tell them when you see them shine, yes. But also to read the Bible with them, to pray with them, to see, for them to see you do it in a way that feels very normal and not weird. There's also going to be times where God is calling you to help preserve them. God's going to call you to help restrain their evil, to discipline them well with love, and for them to know that they can say sorry to God and to you because God's loving, God's forgiving, and so so are we. Now, we all have neighbors, and God in his power has placed you exactly where you live. There's no random choice there. Like, God knows what he's doing. God kind of knows a thing or two, if you haven't noticed, if you've ever been around him before. He kind of knows some stuff. The reason why you live where you live is because there are people there, maybe not everybody, because that's kind of impossible, but there will be people there that he wants you to stay salty with in the best term, of course. Now, it can take a little bit of work to do that, to spend time with them, have maybe more of them a surface-level chat. The same with, with, like, work colleagues. You work with those people for a reason, to see them as people instead of fellow cogs in this big machine that you're a part of. And when you have those chats, and they may not happen every single day, but when you have those chats, there, we, there will be opportunities to hold evil back, to call out racism, to call out homophobia, to stand up for something that might legally be okay, but ethically certainly is not okay, to not stir up gossip when it starts going on. If we cease being salty salt, we become tasteless forever. And what's the point of us being around? If we aren't flavoring or preserving, we are foolish. And if we're foolish, we're useless. Now, you might have some questions there, and so go ahead and um, send those in because we have to move on to the next thing that Jesus talks about. Uh, the next thing in the community of consequence uh, that we need to not only stay salty, but also we need to stay bright. This is in four, uh, verses 14 through 16. It says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your God in heaven. Now, Jesus is the light of the world, and he says we are light of the world. 
that is, I mean, even that one little thing, we're not going to spend, we could spend a whole day talking about that. That almost sounds heretical. We're the light of the world. We're the hope of the world. He sing it in one of the songs. We are the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. We are his disciples. We provide the light for others. For the, now, the source of the light doesn't come from us. It comes from Jesus. But we have to provide that for other people. Where there is light, people find their way. Where there is light, people can see. Things become clear. Where there is light, the darkness, makes them, the darkness that makes them stumble, that is pushed away. Where there is light, people who are lost can be found. The world needs this light. It's not optional. It is through Jesus' disciples that others will encounter it. And if you aren't a part of giving this light, others are just not going to see it. There is a need. It's basically Jesus' way of saying, there is a need for you to exist and to exist in this way. If we are indeed a town on a hill, the light can't be hidden. If the light isn't there, likely the town isn't there. And though we are the light, of course, we're not the source of it. Jesus is the light of the world, lest us become a little bit too high and holy. <laughs> but now think of this for a moment. Think of the absurd act. And this is, again, Jesus is trying to, um, to the people he's talking to, he, he's, he uses humor all the time. But think of the absurd act of lighting a lamp just to hide it. I mean, that by itself is kind of dumb, right? You go to Ikea, you survive that trip with most of your dignity intact, most of your relationships intact. You know, oh, it's 85%. That's pretty good. You get home, you put the thing together, use the Allen key and everything, you turn it on, and then you immediately put a jumper over it. What is the point of that? What is the point of having that light? And, and, and health and safety aside, what is the point of having a light on that remains hidden? The whole reason for that lamp is to be lit up. And not just for you, for the whole room. That's what Jesus says, for the, everyone in the room. He doesn't say everyone who's in on you, everyone who believes the same things, everyone who's like okay with me. Everyone in that room, everyone who is in your relational circle, it's the whole reason for that lamp being, is to give light. That means this for us, that our lives ought to have an effect on others in the same way that a lamp lights up a room. We're called to have these generous spirits that give light to everyone around. And being a disciple, that means, is more than a private kind of faith. It's more than private personal holiness. And it is that, because we just talked about that in the last two weeks. But it's more than that. And they work together. Because what's inside always works its way out. It's a little bit like this. If you have an inner life with Jesus, it's going to lead to outward actions. And those outward actions will require you to have to go back to Jesus in order to sustain it and also to know like what to do. It's this kind of it's a cyclical thing. It goes on and on. The good deeds that Jesus is talking about here is the kind of life that reflects the Beatitudes that we learned about the past few weeks. To be gentle, to when people persecute you, to pray for them, to love them. It's a distinctive lifestyle and is visible to other people. Now the goal in all of this isn't merely to like better society, though of course it's good if society gets better, that's great. The even better thing, the ultimate goal that Jesus says here is for people to glorify your Father in heaven, for people to glorify God. This is a spiritual goal that we have. That's bringing out the best in other people if they're able to do that. People who are outside God's family will begin to glorify God because of our visible kingdom here on earth. Because we've stayed salty, because we've stayed bright, they will be brought in. Not by programs, not by plans, not by vision, not by services, not by professionals. I mean, all those things work to support the work of our actual human interaction, our human relationships. Now, if you think church is a service, if you think a missional community is a meeting, Jesus wants to persuade you otherwise. 
to be a community of consequence means deep relationships with others as we stay bright in their light. And as we go about this, it's not so much as making the earth a better place as it is helping to implement God's reign of love on earth. That's very different. One is elevating our own lives. One is wanting to see God's life kind of come down and affect more of our own. We can try and make our home here as good and comfy as possible to try and have earth reach towards heaven. But what Jesus is talking about is heaven coming down to earth. And that can sometimes be disruptive because it's different. It's rarely easy, especially at first. But it is really good. And it is the most meaningful life we can have. And notice how Jesus frames talking about God here. He says, your father in heaven. He couldn't have gotten more close and intimate in his language than using your father in heaven. He doesn't even say my father or the father. He says your father in heaven. Now for Christians who are reading this, that means he is not a tyrant. He is not like your ruler in heaven, your uh, you know, slave master in heaven. He's not distant. He's not off cold from us. He's here with us, perfect, loving father. And we have a real living relationship with him. That means we don't do all of these things that we've read about and that we will read about. We don't do those things to gain his approval. We do these things because we've already been approved. He's already our father. We don't have to get his, like, get his attention. We don't do them to gain love. We do them out of the overflow of love that he's already given us because he's perfectly our father. We don't do them to be better than others or holier than others. We do them so that other people who don't know this love yet one day will. And if we don't, who, who's going to? That's, if you haven't noticed, we're not swarmed by Christians in our culture, are we? <laughs> so if we don't do the things that God's calling us to do, then who's going to do that? Each of us have a unique individual part to play in God's kind of ensemble cast. We need each other, yes, but we also need each other to play our part. Not someone else's part, just our part. God's not gonna, there's loads of things God doesn't call you to, but there are some things that God does call you to. And do you see the way that we're supposed to live here? Our good deeds here are supposed to be connected to others glorifying the Father. So we're not just supposed to be nice and keep that like separate and then have this like private faith where we talk to God sometimes. No, our good deeds are going to be opportunities of talking about God in such a way that people are going to connect with people and that people will want to glorify this person who gives us, who, who is the source of our power and energy to do all those good things. So that means when you are bringing out the best in others, when you're staying bright, it ought to be done in a way that requires you to stay wise. That means we have to do some things that are a bit more like intense sometimes. And when those opportunities come up, we have to give a reason. We ought to give a reason to talk about Jesus. And if you don't connect how you live with the Father who loves you, what you do, and you may not even mean to, but what you will do subconsciously or consciously is put yourself on a pedestal and say, I am really good. And then people will see, oh, that person's a Christian. They're really good. That means Christianity is for nice people. Christianity is for good people. Which, of course, is anti-Christian in all its ways. That's not true. And if you're here and you don't see yourself as a Christian, the way that Jesus talks about God, the Father, is something that anyone can have. It's open for everybody. Those who are believers here want you to know what it's like because it's what gives us ultimate meaning. It's one of the reasons that we're here. It's one of the reasons why we rock up on a Sunday morning at a pub and set this all stuff up and then take it all down in a bit. Part of our job is to come alongside you and help explain things, be a listening ear, and illustrate what it means to live in a community of consequence. Of course, imperfectly, because none of us have it. Now, in our missional communities, which is, you might have heard that word loads and we haven't described it, what it is. It's basically how we do small groups, because even in a smaller church like this, you can't really get to know everybody, but smaller groups of eight or 10 or 12 people, you can actually get to know them. 
But in those missional communities that we have, how are we staying salty? How are we staying bright? You can't do this with meetings with Christians in houses. It just doesn't work. I mean, that's a good thing, but it has to be more than that. That's not of the earth, and that's not giving light to everyone in the house. We're called to be communities of consequence, not individuals of consequence. So do you have a clear mission in your missional community, as, as in, like, you know the names of the people who you're trying to reach? Without that clarity, it's actually really hard to live out what Jesus calls us to here. Because you can't generically stay bright. You have to stay bright for this person because you know their life and you know how to love them and serve them. Without knowing yourself and your own gifts, uh, it's, it's nearly impossible for you to do as well. Now, for Redeemer as a whole, though, even so we have missional communities and all the missional communities come together on Sundays and we worship together. For us as a whole, how are we staying bright? With the events and things that we have in place, are we connecting well in those relationships? There's many opportunities. Are we, are we doing that well? When someone is a guest for the first time at Redeemer, how long until they get an invitation to lunch? It's more than a pastor's job. How long until someone gets to know their story? That's more than a missional community leader's job. Or even how long before they get invited to an MC? And in the relationships that we already have, how are we connecting the light of the world with the world? One of the most important things here is to present the word. Often light, the light, the lamp, that is a, a metaphor used for the Bible itself, used for God's words to us. And Jesus, who is sometimes called the word, is found in the word, in the Bible. We want to make this as accessible for everyone as possible. It's actually it's very easy to read. It might be difficult to kind of understand and interpret by yourself. And actually can't really do it by yourself. You need a community in order to do that. That's why we have missional communities. That's why we have Sunday worship gatherings. That's why we have alpha courses. That's why we put on a Bible lunch club at Stretford Grammar. Jesus is found in here. And so we want people to read these words. We want them to know this. We also want to make this and all this as welcoming as possible. That's why we eat together in missional communities and Alpha. I mean, we worship, even though we don't formally start singing and do all those things till 1030, worship begins at 10 as we have coffee together and chatting with each other because that's, that's a part of what it means to stay bright and to stay salty. It's also the best time to meet newer people on Sundays if you show up right at 10. Generally, that's when newer people show up. We have serving teams. We've been going through all the trainings. The hospitality team was here earlier this morning. It's all set up to help create an environment that's welcoming and it's accessible so that the light can go out to everyone. And it's so important for you to be here for it. You can't do it without being present. Your presence actually matters. And we've talked before about how these chapters have incredible teaching, but also these, these chapters and, and these verses here reveal an incredible teacher. Jesus, in his life and death, he was thrown out. He was trampled underfoot. He was the salt of the earth. He never lost his purity. And he was thrown out by those who came to serve. Jesus, the light of the world, John writes about him uh, in John 1, 4. It says, in him, in Jesus was life. And that light, that life was the light of all mankind. And yet the powers that be didn't want him to shine. They wanted him to hide it. They tried to snuff it out. And for a moment, it seemed like it worked. Seemed like it worked. Dead on Friday. But then comes Sunday. And in Jesus' resurrection, the next verse in John teaches us, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It might feel like sometimes it has, but it, it has not. Jesus' resurrection proves that nothing will stop him from creating his community of consequence. Nothing. After he rose again, he ascended into heaven and is now ruling over this world. Jesus is the one in power. And in his power, what he did was he sent the Holy Spirit to us. 
to continue his work in creating communities of consequence. And this is what Jesus is about. He's here. He's doing this very thing. For those who follow him, this is what we get. God living in us. How else would we expect to stay salty? It's impossible. How else are we going to stay bright? It's impossible. God has to do it through us. If death cannot stop Jesus, nothing can stop us. If death itself couldn't stop Jesus, a little awkwardness, that's not going to stop us. A little difficulty, that's not going to stop us. People saying bad things behind your back that aren't even true about you, that's not going to stop us. Not shame, not guilt, not fear, not lack of knowledge, not relational tensions, not the difficulty of finding Sunday morning venues, as great as it is now. Nothing in all creation has the power that God does. And God's power is this, to keep us first, to guard us first, to flavor us, to preserve us, to keep the lights on in our hearts. And not just for us, but for all those who are far off. Irenaeus, who's an, an old kind of church father, said the, uh, this great line, the glory of God is man fully alive. And that's what God does. He makes us fully alive, draws us into his community of consequence, and tells us, you have a part to play, and I'm always with you. You have people in your life that you're going to speak to. You're going to preserve. You're going to flavor, whatever the thing might be. But I will never leave you, and I will never forget you. And when we celebrate, when we take the Lord's Supper, what we celebrate is Jesus giving his life so that we can have ours. See, the path of faith is belief and baptism in the Lord's Supper. Belief is believing in Jesus. You may not know everything about the Bible. You may not know everything about Jesus. Nobody does, by the way. So we're all in the same boat there. But you know enough. It's like getting married. It's like when Christina and I first got married, I knew a lot about her. I'm still discovering new things about her. I feel like I'm pretty clueless as a generic male, I guess, in general. But I knew enough to get married. And you're, you're hopefully uh, in, a, in a good relationship, you're still learning new things about your partner because they're complex. They're not, they're not very, they're, they're not like one-sided. How more infinite is, and complex is God? It's going to take forever for us to really know him. But belief is knowing him enough. And this is belief in Jesus. And what we do after that belief is a one-time thing called baptism where you get to say, this is me now. Not only yourself, but I, this is me now as in I belong to this community, this community of Christians. It's a statement of your personal identity, you are a Christian, and also a communal identity that you're a part of God's family, a part of the church, the, the whole church. Jesus commands baptism to be an outward symbol of what's going on internally. Now, if you believe and you've been baptized, the next is an ongoing part of faith, which is the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is this continual practice of worship, con con continual ongoing thing. Basically saying, I need you, Lord. I can't do it myself. I need to eat. I need to drink. The Lord's Supper is for those who've already believed, already been baptized, because the Lord's Supper is for those who are in God's family. Now, I'm not sure where you might be. It might be the first step, or not even. Maybe you're like, you know, negative 10 steps behind that. You might still be thinking through things, working through things, hopefully with other people. Now, maybe you've done that, but you haven't yet been baptized. If you believe and haven't yet been baptized, that's something we should talk about. So I'm, I'm happy to talk about that with you. It's kind of like if you were to be married but never having like a wedding certificate or a ring or having like a marriage ceremony, you can act like you're married and maybe you, you love each other, but it really it should be official. And for those who believed and been baptized, when we take the Lord's Supper, let's see it as an opportunity to bring our inadequacy to God. Because if you spent any time with these few verses, this is not me. I am not special to you. I am not giving light to anyone in the room. In the room. Lord, I really need your help. I feel we should all do this. We see it as an opportunity to bring our inadequacy to him, to empty ourselves, but not just end there, 
to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not be full of ourselves. You don't have to be a member of Redeemer, by the way, to join in with this, but you do have to be a member of God's family. Um, underneath your uh, seat, there is a, a combined communion cup. If the kids haven't already stolen out from underneath us. The, uh, the bread symbolizes Jesus' body being thrown out and trampled in his death on the cross. Now in his resurrection, he nourishes us. The cup symbolizes Jesus' blood, the light of the world in darkness for three days, but his light now shines forever. It will never stop shining. And he gives that light to those who would otherwise be lost in the dark. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, let me get there. This is Paul writing, says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, and that you is all of us. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, normally we eat and drink while we sing, um, so we're going to eat and drink together today. Let's eat Jesus' body. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In a moment, we're going to pray, and then we'll sing. There'll be some people in the back. Um, who'll be available for prayer. Uh, now, we've kind of done this the past few weeks. This is going to be an ongoing thing that we're going to do. You might be like, oh, I don't really need someone to pray for me. You don't need to have like a big thing in order for someone to pray for you. You can just go back on someone to pray for you. You, you can say, I need prayer for this, or you can just say, I just need someone to pray for me. You don't have to be super descriptive, or you can be as descriptive as you'd like. But don't miss the opportunity for someone else to pray for you. You know, this, we may not get very, very many of those opportunities in our lives. Uh, every Sunday, though, we want to make that an opportunity for everyone to be able to be prayed for. And speaking of which, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have come for us to light up our souls, to uh, flavor and preserve us as we ought to be, to bring out the best in us. We thank you that uh, you never stopped. You never stopped pursuing us even when we were running away from you, even when we run away from you, even when we think we, don't, we aren't enough and our inadequacies overwhelm us. Lord, we thank you that you always love us. The ultimate symbol is you giving yourself on the cross for us. And not just that, but you giving your new life to us through your Holy Spirit. Jesus, we thank you that we get to speak to you now. You hear us. And even though we're praying to you now, you were always praying for us. We're always going to our Father in heaven on our, on our behalf. So Lord, with all of that in the background of who we are, we pray that we would be able to stay a little bit more salty than we are previous, stay a little bit more bright than we are previous. We're not going to be perfect. We're not going to be on maybe 100% power. But Lord, give us just a little bit more. Give us just 1% more. Put those people in our lives, God, in th that we could be able to love them well by bringing out the best in them to love them well by restraining evil, whatever that might look like. 
Lord, put people in our lives that we care about, that we want to see them glorify you through our good deeds. Lord, would you even, the idea that you use our actions for something that's amazing, for bringing someone to, from death to life in order they would glorify you. I don't understand how that works. That's something your Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit, would you work in our lives, in the, in the life of our missional community, in the life of our church, and not just our church, Lord. Churches throughout Manchester, Lord, would you work in the way that we have been reading about today. We pray in your name. Amen.